Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Airway First, the podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downing. My guest today is award-winning author James Nestor. Over the course of his career, James has written for Scientific American, Outside Magazine, BBC, The New York Times, The Atlantic, NPR, and many more. In his latest book, Breath, The Science of a Lost Art, he explores how the human species has lost the ability to breathe properly, and more importantly, how we can get it back. Breath spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list in its first year of release, and has sold more than 1 million copies. It was also awarded the Best General Nonfiction Book of 2020 by the American Society of Journalists and Authors. James has spoken around the world at a variety of venues, including Stanford Medical School, Harvard Medical School, the United Nations, and more than 60 radio and television shows. We are also proud to have James as a member of the Children's Airway First Foundation Advisory Board. You can find out more about James at mrjamesnestor.com. And now, here's my interview with James Nestor. Hi, James. Thank you so much for being on the program today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. All right. So right out of the gate, um, I would like to to ask you something from your book. Um, and I'll have a link to your book, Breath, uh, in the show notes as well. Um, it was something that caught my attention when I was actually reading the book. We all know how to breathe, right? We've been doing it since birth. So why do I need to learn how to breathe? <laughs> well, you could say that same thing about eating or exercising right <laughs> right um, yeah. so uh, it's if we evolved or grew up in a natural environment you don't need to learn how to breathe you don't need to learn how to exercise you don't need to learn what foods to eat and when you don't need to relearn how to sleep but since we aren't in that environment anymore and since we're in an industrial environment we need to relearn all of these things, how our bodies are naturally supposed to be. And so I'm not going to go move to a cave or, or to the wilderness. I want to live in this environment. And if you're going to live in this environment and not be sick all the time, you need to listen to your body. And you're, it's not just that you need to relearn to breathe, but you re, need to relearn to do all of these different things. And breathing is just a part of that. So we have lost the ability to breathe properly. Just look at the data and, you, and you'll see that. I was shocked when I first found that, but it's entirely true. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this in some other podcast episodes, which you know, obviously I'll link to, but, and you, you really hit on it. It's the industrial environment. I mean, that's where this shift happened, isn't it? Yeah, and all you have to do is either look at our ancestors, distant ancestors, or look at indigenous populations that are still living in the way that our ancestors did thousands of years ago. And they don't have hypertension. They don't have diabetes. They don't have breathing problems. They don't have respiratory issues. So, you know, they don't have lower back pain or foot problems. So all of the, I won't say all, Many of the problems most of us living in the industrial world are containing with are problems of our own creation. So if we have created these problems, these health issues for ourselves, then we can help reduce them or get rid of them. And that's exactly what's happening in self-care and health awareness right now all over the world. That's very valid. 
Um, so before we get too deep, though, just to kind of give a little backstory for those that are listening that may not have read the book yet, and if they haven't, I highly recommend it. Would you just share a little bit about your journey? Uh, because you had your own airway or breathing journey, which played into this book, correct? Yeah, I did. I was suffering from various respiratory issues. I was told that there's nothing I could do about them, really. It was just a sign of aging. So I was getting pneumonia uh, a lot, mild pneumonia. I was getting bronchitis a lot, at least once a year. I was noticing I was starting to wheeze when I was working out. And what was odd about this is I was doing everything else that I had understood was was healthy, right? I was sleeping fine, eating all the right foods. I was exercising all the time, but I kept having respiratory issues. And every time I would have some sort of infection, I was given the old Z-Pack, given some mm -hmm. antibiotics, which works, you know? Right. But it doesn't fix the core issue. So it was something that I was contending with for for years. Nothing super major, you know? It's not, not like I was missing work from it. Well, when I had pneumonia, I was. But it yeah. wasn't something that was impacting me all the time. It was just sort of in the background. But it did seem to be getting worse every year. And so I wanted to figure it out. And that's really what got me interested in this concept of learning how to breathe correctly and improving your respiration and seeing what that could do for you. And I'm trying to remember exactly how you, you just phrased it, but with what's going on with breathing and the fact that we're just we're all having these different respiratory issues, right? We're all having allergies, asthma is on the rise. You're seeing all of these things. And you mentioned that you get a Z-Pack. We've all done that. Um, but we're not getting to the core, right? We're just treating the symptoms. And part of that, I think, is is this whole, I'm not sure if it came from you or where, but the, this global pandemic of breathing. So at the core, if it's my understanding, is this whole disevolution that you were referencing, right? The uh, the jaws that you know that we just suddenly don't have room in our mouths anymore. Well, there's many reasons why we're such poor breathers, and this disevolution is one of many reasons. I think it's the primary driver. Okay. Other other people think you know being constantly exposed to allergens to pollution, to mold, to dust, you know, can contribute to this, which is totally true. But I really think the shrinking of our mouths, the shrinking of the sinus cavities really had a lot to do with why we become such habitually poor breathers. And when I discovered that, you know, that in the course of about 300 years, this this came on from close to zero, not quite zero, close to zero to 90% of the population has some sort of malocclusion, which can impact your breathing. Uh, it shocked me because I didn't know that evolution, quote unquote, evolution could act so fast across an entire population, but it can in a single generation. That's, that's what we've seen. So yeah, I, I think it's, the main driver, but you know, I think there's also an argument to be said that these other things have 
at minimum contributed to it us not being able to breathe properly and they're and they're also well i guess not also so as far as you know contributing one of the things we've done and i say we collectively not you know calling anybody out is to counteract our bodies have started many of us mouth breathing during the day and the night this whole chronic mouth breathing thing so why is this so critical that you uncovered um that we breathe through our nose instead of our mouth because i think at least several i've done it right when i listen about yes i've tested and it's a lot easier to breathe through your mouth it's just easier um so yeah so so why aren't why is that bad if, if that feels easier what makes that so bad well it's a lot easier to go through a mcdonald's drive through every meal than <laughs> cook, cook your own stuff so that's a I fair mean, point okay yeah you know we can breathe through our mouths we're designed to be able to breathe through our mouths as a backup mm -hmm. system and it's fantastic how terrible would that be just to have one pathway through which we can breathe but yeah. it is not the main pathway through which we should be breathing you can when you're really working out hard you can default to mouth breathing for a little bit when you're laughing when you're talking to someone oftentimes when we're talking we're mouth breathing which is one of the reasons why i think talking to people gets so exhausting after a while because mm -hmm. you're not really focusing on how you're breathing but and that that won't make any difference i'm talking about habitual constant mouth breathing and right. you know this is not my hypothesis it's not my theory this is documented over decades and decades and decades with hundreds and hundreds of different studies looking at the difference between mouth breathing and, and nasal breathing so mm -hmm. anyone that's looked at our anatomy can see what a complex beautiful ornate structure the airway is and it's that way for a reason you know nature doesn't build things in a very complex way by accident nature's very into building things as simple as possible what is the most simple and efficient way of building something nature mm -hmm. doesn't like unnecessary excess so all of these structures are there for a reason they're they're there to help filter our air you know protect us they're there to allow us to get more oxygen they're there to allow us to have more developed growth in our mouths and faces so this is not controversial stuff right and from what i've seen is no one has argued this point that the nasal breathing is superior than mouth breathing but very few people really apply that logic to their day-to-day -day lives and that's what i thought was so interesting about this is we've known this for so long and yet look around and so many people are chronically mouth breathing yep yeah and you you mentioned something about you know more oxygen but if i understood correctly there comes a point where there's too much right where we can actually breathe in too much no you're not going to breathe in too much oxygen it's you know everyone's been focused on oxygen but oxygen's easy unless you're really sick unless you're at altitude getting oxygen is the easy part it's having that proper level of co2 that's a lot harder for people so you can overbreathe, you can hyperventilate and your spo2 is rocking to 99 98 great why do you feel so terrible 
Why is your health so bad? Why do you keep having asthma attacks and panic attacks? It's because you're breathing too fast. So it has less to do with oxygen, yeah. more to do with the volume and pace of each of those breaths that you're taking in. It's just too much. It's like revving up a car and when you're idling, just revving the motor over and over and over, you're gonna wear out the motor, which is, and you're gonna wear out your body if you keep breathing that way. Gotcha, all right. So it's it's the fact that it's just too fast or too much volume. Yeah, it's it's when we over breathe, you know, if anyone's done any breath work, you over breathe for a specific purpose to stress your body out. That's what these vigorous pranayamas do. <laughs> you are stressing your body out. So in order to give you the power to learn how to stress your body out specifically so you can calm it. So if you're unconsciously over breathing all the time, you are sending your body in your brain stress signals this is just 911 calls over and over and over and over throughout the day what happens to the body blood sugar goes up cortisol goes up free radicals go up you start losing sensations in your fingers and in your toes you're always cold all the time so that is caused by this chronic over breathing just like overeating is bad over breathing is bad as well so how should we be breathing then? Should Aside be breathing from through the naturally. Nose. <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone thinks like I spent so many years researching this stuff. Oh, I found this secret and it's now <laughs> trademarked and you can learn more about it when you take my fifth course where I will right. introduce the secret training of the breathing masters. There's no secret here, people. It's extremely boring because <laughs> nature is very simple. And your, what your body needs is very simple things to support it. So instead of taking 40 different supplements all the, all the time, eat the right food. You don't need those supplements. Instead of paying attention to every single step you take throughout the day, just work in a way in which you're naturally walking throughout the day. And you don't need to look at your pedometer. With right. breathing is the same thing. Why don't these indigenous populations have all of the respiratory issues? Because they are in a natural environment. Their posture is very different. They're paying attention to the way in which they sit. They pay attention to the way in which they sleep. They pay attention to the way in which they breathe when they're exercising. So it's uh, the secret is just to do what your body is naturally designed to do. That's the secret. This isn't about becoming superhuman or super breather. It's just allowing your body to naturally do it. There's nothing wrong with our bodies. It's, it's us who have screwed up in our cultures who have screwed them up. And now we're trying to get them back to that balanced state. So then what's the point of doing breath work? Well, breath work allows you to become aware of your breath. It allows you to take control of your breathing, conscious control of your breathing, so you can condition yourself to breathe better unconsciously. The more breath work you do, especially training in breath holds or training in very slow rhythmic breathing, naturally your body is going to find that pace. It's going to find that rhythm and you'll start breathing that way without any even thinking about it, which to me is really the point of all this stuff. I don't want to have to be thinking about how I'm breathing all the time. That sounds terrible. 
I want my body to naturally do it, but that takes a lot of conditioning, and that's what breathwork is so good at doing. Gotcha. listening to Airway First with today's guest, James Nestor. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to fix before six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources for parents and medical professionals, including videos, blogs, recommended reading lists, comprehensive medical research, podcasts, and so much more. We also encourage parents to join the Airway Huddle, our Facebook support group, which was created for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Airway Huddle. Are you a medical professional or parent that's interested in being a guest on the show, or do you have an idea for an upcoming episode? Then shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website, or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, let's jump back into my interview with today's guest, James Nestor. And this then would play into your comment about how we breathe during the day impacts how we breathe the night then, correct? This is pretty controversial. This part of the segment of the podcast um, (laughs) put up a big red flag because some ENTs and sleep medicine people say how you breathe in the day has zero impact on how you breathe at night. Okay. I tend to disagree with that, even though I'm a reporter, I shouldn't have attitudes or I shouldn't have really placed myself on one side of the line here. I have to disagree on it because I have met probably hundreds by this time of people who have used breath work to improve their daytime anxiety, their asthma, their panic or whatever. They say, my God, I used to sleep, used to snore, used to have sleep apnea, and either it's greatly reduced or sometimes people don't even have it anymore. Just a real, I want to be super clear about this. Everyone's different. So everyone's going to respond differently. So you can't say what's worked for one person is going to work for everyone. But from what I've seen, there are no negative side effects from improving your breathing. So you're only going to improve. Things are only going to improve. And time and time again, we're seeing sleep improve. But when you learn how to breathe properly, have there been any huge studies of this? No. Who's going to pay for that, right? Zero people. Because this is just allowing people to get off of CPAPs, you know. But but there is one in Stanford uh, coming up, about 200 people looking at sleep tape and sleep apnea. That's being uh, run by Ann Kearney down at Stanford. She finally got funding after looking for funding for about five years. Oh, wow. From a private funder, of course, because who, what a right. public entity would ever fund something <laughs> ridiculous is allowing people to help heal themselves for free. Right. So I'm going to ask you another controversial one. I only know it's controversial because I've heard your response before, but I've only had one other person that would ever talk to me about this on the podcast. So we're going there. 
Um, Yeah, it's really not that exciting, but I just thought I'd preface it with that. So mouth taping. Um, I I know your advocate's not the right word, but your supporter of it. Um, And just, you know, from some of the things that I've read and some of the other people that I've spoken with in previous episodes, that seems to be another touchy one Hmm. at this point. Um, Where do you stand on that? Well, yeah, I never want to be an evangelist for any of this stuff. I always want to be objective because you're, if you're objective and you don't have your hand in any of the cookie jars, you can call BS on stuff. And I always want to be able to call BS on stuff because that's my, Mm -hmm. supposed to be my job as a reporter. Right. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to mouth taping, I talk about my personal experience in the book Mm -hmm. from going from mouth breathing and snoring a lot to mouth taping and snoring zero. I talk about my experience talking to other people who had that same experience as me. And since the book has come out, this is the one thing I've heard more than anything else over and over and no matter where I go, what place I do talks at, from doing book signings, people talk about mouth taping, how it has transformed their sleep quality and in many cases transformed their life. Uh-huh. Will it work for everybody? No. No. Right. Is there any negative side effect to nasal breathing during sleep? No. Can everyone mouth tape? No. And a way to try to see if this is right for you is to put that little piece of tape on and keep it on for 10 minutes while you're watching TV or whatever, and then keep it on for 20 minutes and then try to work a few hours with that little piece of tape. And if you find after an hour of wearing that tape, you just have completely forgotten about it because it's effortless to breathe through your nose. I think my personal opinion from talking to so many people about this, I think you can try it out at night and see if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, don't do it. If your nose is clogged, don't do it. Don't do it. There's there's some common sense here. And now it's just, I can't tell you how many interviews, even the the New York Times just wrote about mouth taping. Wall Street Journal wrote about it two months before that. It's now in Men's Health Magazine, (laughs) you know, a huge section. and, you know, some ENTs say, oh, this is extremely dangerous. Don't don't fall for this. Get your sleep study immediately. Come on over to my office. So there's a certain logic to that, right? Mm-hmm. Some people have structural issues in their noses. They need surgery in order to breathe right. well, which is why you try these other practices of wearing it for a little while, seeing how it works for you before you use it when you go to sleep. So common sense, which is mm-hmm. in slim supply. A lot, you know, a lot of throughout uh, a lot of different areas right now. So that's what I think of mouth taping. I love it. I have a real hard time sleeping without it. It's the same for millions of people now. Yeah. Is it right for everyone? No. Figure it out yourself. Those are the tools. Right. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Because um, it is, it's so funny. Um, I've had other guests that I've asked and they just, they don't even want to talk about it. Um, So I do. I appreciate that. 
Well, uh, you know, because I think people see something online and then immediately want to do it all the time. Uh, you know, with, without doing any of these initial uh, steps. And uh -huh. there's there's other people who are really pissed off in sleep medicine, some ENTs who are just like, you know, who are you to tell people that they can improve their sleep using this piece of tape? You are not qualified right. to say this. I am not qualified to say that, but I am qualified to go out and talk to leaders in the field over a number of different years and look at the uh -huh. research. And that's what I'm telling you. And I'm also okay with telling you my personal experience sure and that's what i mentioned in the book and if you have a problem with that too bad i don't know what to tell you you know i i just think this is something that is free i know it works for a lot of people if you're mm -hmm. careful if you do it right it might work for you so why okay. not give it a try why not right I have strong opinions about mouth taping, as you as you see. I know, I know. That's I what know. you get for asking me that question. I knew, I knew, but that that's why I asked it because you know, like I said, no one else will talk to me about mm. it. So, all right. So, one of the things that you say, um, and it's not a direct quote, so, um, but that respiration can also lead to restoration, and to me, especially as it relates to children's every first, I mean that's. That's it in a nutshell for me, um, personally, right? If you can breathe right, your health's going to improve. Um, I just thought maybe we could talk a little bit more about that and some of the things that you have found over the course of your research. So, I mean, you, you've seen some pretty dramatic changes, correct? I see them all the time. I get letters okay. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hundreds thousands thousands of them now i hear about this all people find me and they corner me and they tell me about this stuff which is a bit ironic because i am only the messenger here <laughs> i right. do not do any of this research like and so you know i will try to refer them to the experts in the field and those experts may be sick of getting all these emails from these people. But, uh, I, you know, that that's my role here. I'm a conduit to where the research and the science is. So, of, of course, I, you know, hear all these stories all the time because they're so transformative. But one thing that all of these people have had in common, every single one of them from my experience, is they're all really pissed off. They're extremely angry that it took them finding a weird book to learn that their kid may have a breathing problem, maybe shouldn't be on a fistful of drugs that aren't doing any good for them, right? That mm -hmm. maybe sleep disorder breathing is why their kid is still wetting their bed at the age of 12, why they right. have such severe ADHD. And I'm pissed off for them because I'm not saying I'm not against drugs. I think Western medicine is a beautiful thing. I would mm -hmm. not be alive without it. I love it. Pills and powders when you need them are the best thing in the world. Imagine mm -hmm. dentistry without anesthesia. No, oh, thanks. Yeah, no, thank you. I mm -hmm. really like living in the modern world, but you can't diagnose someone with several chronic issues without looking at their breathing. And one thing that I keep hearing over and over again is that no one even ask their kids about their sleep quality, about their breathing. 
about anything to do with their respiration. And I think that is borderline criminal. Mm-hmm. It, it really is to, to have some kids suffer for 10 years without looking at the most simple, basic principle behind so much of this, which is breathing. And I, if there's one thing I hope this book does is, is bring attention to specifically sleep disordered breathing, which I see as a growing pandemic of it, of its own self. That's true. And, you know, kind of to that point, you've been, uh, in, in the whole, the year and a half you've been on our board and just for that amount of time, I know you've been traveling, you've been speaking and you know, you're, you're all over the place talking about this and talking with people about this from when you started, you know, when you were doing your research to now, are you seeing this kind of, has, has this shift started or is it still, I guess, specifically within the medical community, are you starting to see the shift happen? Because, you know, at least from the perspective where I'm sitting, parents are starting to get it and parents are starting to ask questions. Well, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that because I'm in this little bubble, right? I'm brought out to do these talks. I go on these tours and people are already clued into it because they're going mm-hmm. to, to see me. To hear you. Most yeah. of them have read the book. So they so they want to share their stories. So it's hard for me to look at the general gauge. What's the temperature of this stuff You know, throughout the country? I don't know. Um, I see from all the letters I get and all the people that tell me stuff that awareness seems to be spreading, but I just have no idea. And I, you know, it's not my job necessarily to, to spread this. I've done what I could with the book, but I really think it's the family physician's job or the people looking at the kids or prescribing them whatever drugs for their problems to be apprised of this information it just seems crazy that they're not and so i don't know what it's going to take for that to happen probably a bunch of lawsuits is is what i think is what's going to really push the dial which is sad but kind of true but i i think that that's really what needs to to happen and as far as you know has this become global news i don't think so i think we've got a long way to go but you do see signs of this percolating in places maybe it wasn't percolating before right okay and i'm not going to ask you to do um reading demonstrations for (laughs) us today um just for anybody that's listening that that would like to see some of them i'll find um i'll find a couple of other interviews that you've done that you've demonstrated it so people can get kind of a sense of what you talk about in the book you do list some examples so at the end of every episode i like to turn it back over to the guest and just open the floor completely to you so that the final thought is yours any any message that you would like to leave with parents at this point well i think if parents are listening to this podcast they're clued into the breathing health of their kids so there's not a lot that i can i can tell them i think that awareness is really the most important thing just to become aware of it are all problems attributed to sleep disordered breathing or breathing dysfunction of course not no they're not but 
it's a pretty easy one to diagnose. And because it's so easy to diagnose, I think that that puts some more power in the hands of parents. Like you can, there's so many wearables now that can provide pretty accurate data on sleep apnea, on snoring, on other issues to do with sleep quality. That it's worthwhile if your kid is having chronic issues, or even if they're not, just look at their general breathing health. You know, it's once you're a good breather early on in life that will tend to stay with you, but you need that that knowledge and awareness. I mean, my God, I wish I had known this stuff when I was growing up. It would have made my life a lot easier, you know, um, yeah. but I didn't. And so you can't regret the past, but what you can do is learn from our follies and sort of try to put all that knowledge together and, and build a better future. And I think that's what everyone's trying. Well, some people are trying to do it this time. And I think breathing is definitely breathing. Awareness is definitely a part of that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on today and speaking a little bit more about your book and everything that you discovered. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks again to today's guest, James Nestor, for sharing his insight and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Parents can also join us via our Facebook parent support group, The Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airway huddle. Looking for more from Kath? Then check out our new YouTube channel. You can find a variety of informative original video content there, as well as video recordings and excerpts from selected Airway First podcast episodes. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via our contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.